just a little pre-warning for our listeners that today's episode contains a little bit of swearing. Hello, I'm Ashley. And I'm Gary. And welcome to episode 16 of Choose Film, a real retrospective podcast, where you know we dive deep into a random film chosen by our guest host each week. And um, we're still, this is our final episode of our feel good season, which I have absolutely loved. I've loved watching all these uplifting films. And today we are joined by the lovely Kim McCaskill, uh, who decided that this episode we will be jumping into the film Jojo Rabbit. So Kim, thank you so much for joining us today. And can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Oh, of course. And thanks so much for having me. Uh, any chance to talk about feel-good movies is good for me. Uh, so yes, my name is Kim McCaskill. I'm a television and AAA game writer. Um, and yeah, I just am kind of known for tweeting a lot about movies you know a lot so <laughs> so I feel like this has been a good option for me to, to come on to this podcast. <laughs> nice nice and why did you choose uh, Jojo Rabbit as your feel-good film? I just think it was a really beautifully made movie there was a real you know stroke of genius with it um, that you know the the writers had taken on by using the backdrop of World War II, something, you know, is always looked back on is, is something that was a really horrible, possibly one of the most horrible moments in in history and the from that you know they were able to bring forward this really beautiful story about you know childhood innocence and just you know there's just there's so many themes in there that you know it was so rich with themes you know in terms of you know prejudice and being young and you know just how easy it is to manipulate you know mindsets when you're young but also you know the fact that deep down you know everyone is is really nice there's a pure side to everybody and it's just how we lose that along the way being adults and yeah I could go on and on and on about the themes within the movie but I just saw it as, as a whole package it was just it was a beautiful uplifting movie and it was certainly something I think we needed in that year absolutely what a film and I'm so excited to go deep into it um, but for our listeners who maybe haven't seen it or need a little refresh, here's a little synopsis for you. So Jojo is a lonely German boy who discovers that his single mother is hiding a Jewish girl in their attic. Aided only by his imaginary, imaginary friend, Adolf Hitler, Jojo must confront his blind nationalism as World War II continues to rage on. Yes, his imaginary friend is Adolf Hitler. Today you boys will be involved in such activities as war games, ah! ambush techniques, and blowing stuff up. I don't think I can do this. Was? Of course you can. When I was your age, I had an imaginary friend. Got me in so much trouble. Kids, it's time to burn some books. Yeah! You're growing up too fast. Ten-year-olds shouldn't be celebrating war and talking politics. Heil Hitler. I wish more of our young boys had your blind fanaticism. <laughs> Did you know Jews can read each other's minds? But how would you know if you saw one? They could look just like us. Hi. <coughs> you know what I am? Sid. A Jew. Gesundheit. So let's get started. Um, choosing three positive points for this film was so difficult. Ratings. Ratings. We've not rated the film. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah. What did you give the film out of 10, Gary? I, I gave this film a 10 out of 10. This was the first film that I seen in 2020. And... I am so glad that 2020 started off with a bang for me with this film because it went downhill from there. Uh, but yeah, it's such a feel-good film and I just loved it. I sat there gazing at the screen for the full, well, whatever the running time is. I just was amazed by it and I laughed, I cried. It was an emotional roller coaster. Absolutely. Kim, what did you rate the film out of 10? 
Oh, definitely a 10 out of 10. Absolutely. I think, you know, in a time where it's so easy to create movies that make you feel harrowed and make you feel down and make you feel super serious, you know, it's, it's actually quite hard to make a movie that is that uplifting. You know, even like right at the end, I think the quote was, I'm trying to remember what the quote was, it was like, whether it's beautiful or terrible, let it all happen to you. And it's just, it, it kind of summed that up. It really gave you that live in the moment sort of joy that like you wanted to go out and just be pure and honest and simple with everybody and it's yeah I think just the impact that that movie had was very hard to achieve and the fact that it did it was you know definite 10 out of 10. Yeah and for I think maybe possibly the first time ever on the podcast I'm really rating it a 10 out of 10 as well and all three hosts have agreed on a rating I just I don't know how you could rate this film any lower than a 10 out of 10 it is a masterpiece it's genius it's everything I wanted it to be and more um, and I have never seen another film like it it's just amazing just amazing crazy because the year before like and I can't even remember what the movies were but I remember thinking the year before best picture I was like really I don't really think there was that many great films and then suddenly you're Jojo Rabbit going against Parasite and we just felt so spoiled for amazing films like watching Jojo Rabbit I thought there's no way any other movie is going to win the best film Oscar yeah. there's no way that's gonna happen this movie is perfect and <laughs> lo and behold I think we were just really spoiled with great movies that year yeah. absolutely absolutely so let's now get started with the episodes <laughs> and we'll all go around with our positive um points so I'm gonna kick us off today um and I'm gonna talk about the sequence where Jojo has just been injured by the grenade and it's a very stylized sequence um and we see everything happening through Jojo's eyes, through this blurred vision. Um, and it's just after such a high energy, like crazy rah scene, everything goes, he stays calm and everything's a bit on edge. And there's this whole blurred vision thing. And then there's this, the comedy is still absolutely in there, even though he's really, really been injured by a grenade and he sticks his arm out and it's covered in blood. Like you cannot imagine how much blood is on there. Um, and then it's all over his arm. You think like, oh my God, this is a, a tiny little boy. Like he should be completely traumatized, but it's just all calm. It's very, very still. Um, and then there's a beautiful moment where through the blurred vision, we've not met the mum yet, but you see the mum come into the um, the hospital bed and she does a, such a sharp turn of her head. And we just know his mum's here. His mum is here. And there's a, a voiceover or one of the characters says like, he looks like a Picasso painting. And it just alerts us to how serious this is, but it's done in such a lighthearted and beautiful way, which is, you know, a theme of the whole film. But I just thought that sequence was so stylized and incredible in that, just hitting us with that right at the start of the film. I was like, yes, I'm in for a ride and I don't know where it's going, but I'm here for it. Yeah, I, I love that scene as well. There's two things that I always remember from it. And one of them is, when it's like the point of view of Jojo and Hitler leans in to have a look and he sees the blood and he's like completely nauseous and runs uh-huh. away. And um, Scarlett Johansson's character, the mum, um, is obviously quite a strong character and Captain K is almost afraid of her, but we get our first hint at that before we meet Scarlett Johansson because uh, Captain K, Sam Rockwell, leans in as well and just says, Oh, his mum is going to kill me, or something along yeah. those lines. So we right, we know right away. Okay, the mum is to be feared by these supposedly strong, brutal Nazis. Yeah, I know definitely because he was quite brutal up until that point, and I think it's the first time you see any sort of admission of uh, being humbled or or anything at all. It's just you get the sense that this woman is a force, and they're in trouble, and she must be an absolute force for them to be scared of her. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. and like you know, she has sent her kids to a camp where he's going to be learning how to throw grenades and he gets given a gift of a dagger like when he joins. But, you know, you'd think that if this was the nature of the camp, they'd kind of expect like things like this to be going wrong. But Captain K is like, oh my God, I'm in trouble here. But yeah, it's just, it's how they keep the comedy in such a, what would be like a harrowing scene in any other film. Um, I just thought it was beautiful and I loved seeing it through Jojo's eyes. So that's my first point. It's funny as well because um, Sam Rockwell's character hates teaching these kids and that's already a demotion because of his eye. And then when that happens, he gets further demoted 
as well. So it's like anything that can go wrong for that character does. <laughs> <laughs> straight away, straight away. Um, so yeah, Kim, what was your first point on Jojo Rabbit? I think just the characterisation, I think there was a real effort to try and capture some sort of childlike innocence in every character, not just the children. You know, whether it was Captain K, you know, you can see it has a little bit of a kiddie way of going as well. Rebel uh, Wilson as well, I can't remember her character name. But you know, it it was no character was ever too serious. Even the mum had this kind of little spark of, you know, she was still holding on to that, you know, inner child herself and, you know, not taking life too seriously. Even the Gestapo were silly. You know what I mean? It's like they all seem to have this slightly silly aspect of their character, which I think reflects with the childhood innocence factor really, really well. Um, so, it, you know, every character was likeable, no matter how terrible they were meant to be. Even Hitler, you know, if you're making Hitler an amicable character, whether it's an imaginary friend or not, you know, I think it just suited the, the tone of the, the movie really, really well. Absolutely. And it's how um, Hitler is just like Jojo's hype man. Do you know what I mean? You do not expect that, but and he's just like, hi on me. No, come on, better than that, better than that. And like that's that's what he's fo- focused on. Um definitely the innocence of it is beautiful. It's even when the most brutal things are happening, like there's a bit where the best friend character is holding a bazooka and he sees his friend and is so happy that he just drops the bazooka and he's like, Oh hey, how are you? And he just drops his massive weapon. <laughs> it's just it's just nothing is too serious. It's like the kind of ideas of friendship and being good people and being nice and stuff seem to be at the forefront whilst all this terrible stuff is happening in the background. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that's the amazing thing about this film as well, is Yorkie is even more innocent than Jojo. So as you were saying, Kim, it is about innocence and learning right from wrong, basically. But uh, Jojo is determined, basically, at the start to become a Nazi and be Hitler's right-hand man, whereas Yorkie doesn't really seem too bothered about that. He's just like, oh, I'm at camp and I'm doing what I'm told and this is obviously just the way of life. And as you said, it shows in that scene where he, like, he's carrying the, the bazooka or the, the, the rocket launcher and I don't even think he understands what he's carrying. You know, he's just going from A to B and then he sees his friend, drops it out of sheer excitement and it goes off and it just blows up. I think it's like a post office or something. <laughs> it's so good. So good. Because there's a moment where he actually runs up and he just hugs them as well. Just two wee boys hugging each other. So absolutely. I think it's just, like you said, he's probably not even aware of what he's doing. He's just like, oh, there's my friend. <laughs> and he'll yeah. just all this stuff. <laughs> it's the, the scene as well. I, I think it's right about the same time in the film where Jojo says to him, do you know that Jew that I've got in my basement? And he's like, yeah. He's like, she's my girlfriend now. And Yorkie's like, good for you, Jojo. <laughs> he's so happy for him. Like, there's this war going on and Yorkie's just happy that his best friend has found a girl. <laughs> They're rooting for each other the whole time. And I definitely would watch a film that was just Jojo and Yorkie like, and their yeah. little antics together. Um, but yeah, even the innocence of them like, picking up grenades and having daggers and that because they've been told to do that so that must be okay so they're just going to go and do it um oh i love it there's that scene as well where jojo's trying to he's at the training camp and he's trying to throw his knife into the tree and it bounces off the tree and just lands on one of the other kids like legs as well and he just kind of like looks and then shies away from it as if it didn't happen So yeah. the adult characters as well like you know the mum you know the fact that she liked to dance you know, the fact that Sam Rockwell's character Captain K was really into like fashion design and stuff even like silly things like the German Shepherds joke that mm-hmm. they threw in there uh, Rebel Wilson just making things up like just oh, so funny bad stories about what was like the Jews had hypnotised her uncle <laughs> and because of that he was like having affairs and things like that <laughs> yeah is madness. <laughs> yeah. I thought I thought the film had like the perfect amount of Rebel Wilson in the film because I feel like she's such a like an amazing actor and her personalities in the films are always incredible. But it can it can be too much for me sometimes. Like it can be like oh a Rebel Wilson film whether she's a lead or not. But I thought they used her the absolute perfect amount and she was just golden in it. It's honestly yeah. the first time I've actually enjoyed her properly in a movie because I think I've had that same feeling as well. I mean, I'm not a big fan of Pitch Perfect and stuff anyway, but it does. I always kind of felt like she was always playing the same type of character, and her presence is hilarious. But like, um, 
But yeah, I would never go out my way to watch a Rebel Wilson movie, but that was the first time where I thought she's actually really funny. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because, yeah, um, like saying a Rebel Wilson film or movie, it's every film she's in, it, that's how I kind of define it. But this is not this is not a Rebel Wilson. She definitely, she adds to the film, but there's just so much more in it. Yeah, it's just that like, I've had 14 children for, for, for Germany, Hitler, everybody. Just like the way she comes in with like random statements. Like uh-huh. Or like she's just, she's trying to give the kid a gun like randomly and they're like, no, don't get a gun. She's like, oh, okay, fine. Yeah, it's her character. Her character is really interesting because we'll probably get into this a wee bit more, but all the other characters who are Nazis in it aren't actually portrayed as hunting the Jews with purpose, uh, except maybe Stephen Merchant's character with the Gestapo, because any time that a Jew is mentioned to Sam Rockwell's character, Captain K, he kind of like, just like, you know, shoves it off. He's not really bothered about it anymore. He looks like he's ready to retire. Uh, Adolf Hitler is obviously Jojo's imaginary friend, but Rebel Wilson is like, out to get them, but it's done in this comedic way. So, as we said, like, there's a scene at the the swimming where they're training the the kids how to swim and she just kind of uh, Jojo and Captain K are discussing what a Nazi might look like and Sam Rockwell kind of brushes it off and then um, Rebel Wilson's character just kind of slides into the frame along the bench and then she's like yeah um, I've heard about Jews and then that's when she goes into about the hypnosis and how it created affairs and like incest or something like that. And she's like, yeah, bad creatures and stuff. And then as you said, Kim, there's the scenes where she's trying to give Jojo a gun and then towards the end of the film, she like pulls a grenade, hands it to a kid and tells the kid to go and hug that American person over there. Uh-huh. Like she's really violent and right up to the end, she is out to kill, but it's done with this lighthearted emotion that you, you laugh more. But if you really look at it, she is like, probably the most evil out of all the characters. <laughs> 100%. Um, that goes quite nicely into my first point, which is I know a, a few people, well, probably more than a few people, actually hated this film because it glorified Nazi Germany and what Nazis were like. It almost like represented them in this unusual light. But to me, this film is like a middle finger to the Nazis and to Hitler. So I don't quite get why there was this kind of uproar about it. It was quite controversial, but we need to laugh at the Nazis, not at what they've done, but just at how stupid they are. And that's what the film is doing for me, is it's slagging them and over-exaggerating how idiotic they they were. You know, for instance, that classic uh, Stephen Merchant scene where they walk in and they, ha Hitler, ha Hitler, ha Hitler. Sam Rockwell comes in and they have to like repeat the process again and then they meet um, Elsa who's pretending to be Jojo's sister and again it's and it's just so idiotic because some of their beliefs were so stupid that they deserve to be like slagged they don't deserve to be taken seriously in any way and then at the other side of that it's like well, how are the Jews being represented in that? And obviously the Nazis are saying stuff like they're serpents with horns and they smell like Brussels sprouts and they've got mind control. And there's the, um, there's the scene where we first meet Elsa and Jojo goes into the crawl space and it's shot like a horror film, you know? He goes in and you see creepy dolls in the mirrors and it's low lit and then he finally sees her. It's just a foot at first. And then he sees her in the crawl space and he screams. And then as she comes out, it's like her hand comes round the frame of the like the hatch door. And it's shot like something out of the grudge or the ring. But that's not to make Jews scary. That's for us to laugh at how ridiculous the Nazis are for fearing the Jews, you know? <laughs> so it's like in their mindset. Um, but yeah, I, I get like the, the Nazis were violent and they did some terrible terrible stuff that you can't even express like in the time that we've got but I know it's not the same but see if Taika decided he wanted to do a film on the English invading Scotland during like the years of William Wallace with these same tones and themes I'd be all for that you know all for it 
absolutely so so important because there there are some still you know very very real wounds coming off the back of World War Two people who lived through it and so on and yes you know we want to show respect for that but humor is so important for healing and in that movie like humanity was right at the core of it as well showing that you know Sam Rockwell was a good guy some people really were just following orders some people maybe less intelligent a bit like Rebel Wilson's character was really sucked into the whole thing and then you've got this wee boy Jojo who is you know trying to believe the hype because that is the brainwashing that's going on but it's not impacting everybody it is just the law you know that is what's going on in their country so so yeah I have I mean I think I like Mel Brooks you know he kind of did something similar with the producers you know, yeah. you don't got the Jews to laugh at Hitler which was huge at that time and yes you know it wasn't a violent show but it, you know it's important to be able to find humor in these things so yeah no I, th- I thought it was great I don't think it was in bad taste at all yeah I'm, really I'm the same and my second point is actually the nature of the comedy like you just it's so ridiculous like this is if anyone watches this and thinks this is like I don't know it's it's completely ridiculous. These people, like especially with the Heil Hitler, Heil Hitler, Heil Hitler, it just makes them look like absolute idiots, like brain completely brainwashed. And I'm sure you know they they were, but it's 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 not it's not realistic. It's it's not like a realistic portrayal of World War Two, which was obviously completely awful. This is something different. And I read that Taika Waititi took um, on the role of Hitler because he just wanted to say, fuck you, Hitler. Like, absolutely, fuck you. I'm going to make you look like an absolute, like, crazy, crazy guy. I just think even the fact that Hitler is Jojo's hype man, like, I, I don't know like, where that came from, but it was amazing. And, you know, even the comedy in Jojo pretending to be Nathan and writing back to <laughs> Elsa um, oh. when like sh- she knows it's obviously not Nathan and then he's like well sorry I've got this and Nathan you know doesn't want to be with you anymore and that is links into the childhood innocence of it all and just ties everything together it's like a fairy tale not a fairy tale but a, a story coming up in Jojo's head with all the most weird and wonderful things um, and you've got that part where the Gestapo come in and they love Jojo's bedroom and they're like, oh my God, this is a proper little German boy's bedroom. And they're so, they're so happy with it um, when it's just like covered with Nazi um, sort of signs posters. and yeah, yeah. And the posters of Hitler and you just think, oh my God, this is ridiculous. You can't watch this film and not think it's ridiculous. And I just think that's exactly why I just completely adore it. Yeah. And. I think you need to. Uh, people need to understand as well, like that Taika isn't playing Adolf Hitler. He isn't representing Adolf Hitler. He is representing what Adolf Hitler is like in this young boy's mind. He's playing a figment of an imagination, basically, of Hitler. So it's 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 completely different, you know. He's not even entirely adult in himself. Like Hitler does act like a kid himself because that's probably how Jojo, that's how his brain works, you know. So that's, you know, he imagines that him and Hitler are going to be best friends and Hitler's <laughs> going to meet him. And, you know, it's like he doesn't get the kind of adult aspects of what's going on with the war and why Hitler's doing what he's doing. You know, Hitler's like this superhero, but it's just how, like, Hitler gets jealous whenever he spends time with Matt Giddle and just gets quite huffy and stuff. Like, it's just the childish aspect of it is, is really well done, I think, from him. Yeah, I love the the scene uh, where it's quite near the end of the film where um, Jojo comes out of the crawl space and Hitler's in his bed and he's like, what are you doing? And he's like, you're spending a lot of time with her. And then they, they carry on talking and then he's like, I'm just keeping your bed warm like any good friend would do. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, oh, I- it's, it's wild. It is a, such a wild film and it just takes you on such a journey where you you have no idea what's going to happen next because it's so out there and crazy and all all the comedy doesn't just come from laughing at nazis there's other lovely parts of comedy in there such as when jojo tries to use his his pocket knife on uh, elsa and she steals it then he comes back with the bread knife and like the pot is like armor and she steals that, and then Hitler's like, now she got two knives. And then it cuts to a few other scenes, cuts back, and the mums came home and are having an argument, and then she just goes, and where are all the knives? You know, so you laugh at like things like that as well, and it's just using a prop. That's all it is, mm-hmm. you know. 
the Nathan letters were great though. I think that was the first time, you know, despite Jojo's best efforts to come across as this diehard Nazi, that's the first time you really see that he is actually just a nice wee boy. And even else I guess that, even if he isn't aware of it. Like uh-huh. And his book his book that he's written in the uh Gestapo read it and he's drawn all the pictures is just <laughs> hilarious it's so so good and I love those little those little drawings that they've included are just <laughs> crazy yeah it's funny when it's all like all like how to kill like the Jews and then he, and then he just turns the page and it's like die Nathan die like who is Nathan <laughs> you know? it just totally turns it on his uh-huh. head again Absolutely. just a little insight into into Jojo's incredible imagination that I love yeah. it's just all superheroes and supervillains to him isn't it and Nathan's just becomes a part of that it just shows that he has no real belief system in place he's just he's doing what he thinks is is you know the best he's trying to be the best German he can be you know his dad's not there he's trying to be the man of the house and I think there's definitely an aspect of that to his character as well where you know he wants to make his mum proud and you know be the man so I think that definitely ties into a little bit um which I kind of thought was a, a lovely scene with the mum when she pretends to be the dad. So I think that that broke my heart a little bit okay. because, I mean, she performed that so, so well, but I think that is the first time you really feel the absence of the dads. Yeah. And really see the impact that that's having on Jojo and how it ties into his, you know, his determination to be this mega Nazi. Mm-hmm. Oh, completely. Um, so, yeah, since... That was like my point. I just jumped in there a little bit as well. Uh, Kim, what was your second point for the film? Oh, I, th- I think just the the image, uh, imagery in, in there as well. Like the the, sh- the shoes is probably the the main one that everyone thinks of. Was like you know you can see the mum dancing around, and later on, you know you you don't even need to see her body. You see the shoes, and you know that she's died. Um, I think you know they played on things like that really really well. Um, things like the the knife and. Uh, I think other aspects of the movie unicorn for some reason Hitler eating unicorns was another thing that kind of kept coming up um but yeah but I think the shoes was definitely the big one um it was just yeah I just thought it was really beautifully done um because I just remember as soon as just that gasping moment I think I heard other people gasping in the cinema as soon as they saw it because like you said you didn't know what was going to happen next heartbreaking so it's been like funny 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 and then when it got you it just kind of went bam (laughs) you're like no way she's been caught Uh, and just oh it just led to that beautiful moment as well afterwards where he goes and and he tries to stab her and he only stabs her just that tiny little bit but you know he's just really really upset and he, you know, he he doesn't really want to hurt her. I think in that moment, even though his mom's dead, like he he can't bring himself to to mm-hmm. hurt her. He's like in love with her. You know, the butterflies is another one when he gets butterflies for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. It's really lovely imagery. In that well, movie. that's I actually forgot about the butterfly actually because he's getting butterflies in his stomach with Elsa, and then he's chasing the butterfly, and that's how he ends up at his mom's feet when yeah. she's hanging. Yeah, yeah, I forgot about that. Oh, it's such a heartbreaking part of the film and you would never expect a film this funny to have a moment like that but I actually just it that that's the part of the film that does bring it kind of into reality like how absolutely awful this time was and it's just that little reminder of how tragic it, it was and then you know for Jojo this lively bright bubbly boy who's He's hiding his his Jewish friend and, you know, creating all these characters and then reality hits him and he's on his own. But he doesn't let that stop him. And that's, oh, that's what I love. And it's when he's actually taking his mum's advice as well, when he is starting to live life like a little boy, you know, getting these butterflies and things. It's just in like, you know, like you said, Gary, that moment of distraction where he's literally chasing a butterfly in that moment when the reality of what's actually been happening in the background really kind of connects the story. Um uh, yeah, just the imagery was amazing, I thought. Yeah, and uh, Taika Waititi said that he deliberately doesn't show the mum's face uh, when she's out on the courtyard because we don't deserve as an audience to see that. That's a moment between Jojo and his mum, and I thought that's just lovely because other directors would have cut to that for a more of a more dramatic effect. Yeah. And because he doesn't cut, it makes it more dramatic, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, like because... We know just from as as you said, Kim, the images of the shoes, who that is, and 
his reaction to it, Jojo's reaction to it, we don't need any more than that. Yeah. Um, that goes quite nicely onto my second point, which is foreshadowing. And I've got the shoes written in there, so there's a few different types of foreshadowing in the film. So I'll just kind of name them one at a time and then we can discuss them. So the first one is the shoes. And the amount of foot shots in this film is extraordinary. Tarantino would love this film, you know, just just for that. Um, but, <coughs> um, sorry. <clears throat> so the mum's shoes actually enter the frame at Jojo's head when he's in the swimming pool mm -hmm. and then the mum's shoes are at Jojo's head again when they're walking along the wall outside when they're having a wee day trip out so when those shoes enter at Jojo's head when she's hanging in the courtyard we already have seen that several times that framing it's just that she was either walking or moving and that's a great way to foreshadow that um and Another thing on that is shoelaces, which is a completely different thing there. So one of the first things that Hitler says to Jojo is that his laces are undone. Then we see his mum several times trying to tie his shoes for him. Then by the end, he's figured out how to tie his shoes. And to me, that's like a metaphor for him trying to figure out this war. Because mm -hmm. really nice, at yeah. one point as well, his mum, like I think it's when they're at the bridge, his mum ties his laces together. Yeah. And he like can't walk. Yeah. Very cute. So and another part we kind of briefly touched on it earlier is the dancing. So there's a lot of dancing in this. So Jojo and his mum dance at the dinner table where she brings over the chair so that he's at the same height as her. Elsa's boyfriend proposed just before he went to join the resistance and she actually says then they danced the night away. Um the mum dances on the wall outside when they're discussing love being a kid and the war and how they all fit into each other. Um, Jojo also asks Elsa, what's the first thing you're going to do when you're free? And her answer to that is, I'm going to dance. And I think what that's trying to say is no matter how bad life gets and no matter if the, the Nazis win this war or not, like you need to carry on because if you don't carry on and enjoy life, the Nazis win. Mm -hmm. And I think that question as well, like what's the first thing you're going to do when you're free? That was such a beautiful moment. And to think, like, just dance. And then when they're dancing at the end, like, it's, su it's such a simple thing, you know, that there's so much that she could do. That there's so much that she's missed out on being stuck in this little cupboard. But actually, she just wants to dance. I really felt for her in the attic as well when she has that conversation with the mum about, you know, she's missing so much about developing into being a woman. Like she, anything she's learning now is coming through Scarlett Johansson's character, you know, learning about when to drink and things like that. Uh, so you really do feel for her, especially when she could easily have passed off as the, the dead daughter. And I think that really kind of hits the, the idea of Jewish or not, you know, she could have easily have been you know, German and, and not Jewish. And I think that connect touched that subject of, you know, just how ridiculous it was that these prejudices were, were even there. But, uh, but yeah, I, th I think Elsa's character and the dancing was was a really beautiful touch, definitely. Yeah. The last thing, just with some foreshadowing, I, although it's never actually stated, is Captain K is hinted at as being gay throughout it. So there's this chemistry between him and his like, right-hand man, his assistant, and it's so tense. They're always like in each other's faces. There's the part where Scarlett Johansson um, marches in after her son's been blown up and if you watch, he's about to feed his assistant with some food and then he comes in and they kind of hide it. And then there's the scenes where like, he's designing his sparkly, bright costume and he's like, eh, this is copyrighted, don't you steal it, Jojo? And then obviously we see it at the end that when the war's all gone and he's there in this big cape and mascara and stuff like that. And I just think it's it ties into other things in the film as well. Like, obviously, he couldn't come out as gay during being a Nazi, and he knows he has to hide that. And I think that's his reason for helping Elsa when she gets the date on the passport wrong. So he's not, to me, he's not a true Nazi. He's a man that's signed up to save his own skin and has to then hide. And he has to hide within this Nazi army and maybe do things that he doesn't want to do. You know, he, he's kind of, he reminds me, like, his character reminds me of, like, someone that's, like, perhaps, say, like, 
working in a shop or working for a company that's about to go bust and he's living his last few days in this company and he just doesn't care what happens to it. Like, that's what it's like. He's like, I'm now, I was like at the front lines. I've now then been demoted to teaching kids. I've been demoted even further down to like handing out mail and posters. And I just can't wait for this to be over, you know? Like, he's he doesn't care at all about it. I think like, he probably had a lot of the uh, propaganda against gay people as well. So he's kind of experienced that discrimination to an extent, you know, where people were making up all sorts about gay people, um, you know, how wrong they were. So I think when he hears all these things about Jewish people, he's probably not as quick to believe it because he's felt that discrimination himself. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought he was an incredible character, and Alfie Allen as well, who played the uh the lover assistant yeah. um, but the two of them are really really funny but just that that moment at the end you know where he has his cape like you said he just has his big fuck this moment i'm gonna do what i want you know and just has that that beautiful cape and the gun it was just like you almost felt like even though he's about to die that's the happiest you've ever seen him seen him throughout the entire movie because he's been trying to suppress who he is for so long that even though he's about to die he's like you know what this is who i am and he goes out as his true self essentially mm-hmm. yeah and uh you'll probably agree with this but sam rockwell is just a chameleon he can jump into any role and make it his own i've not seen one bad performance in him. i've seen bad movies that he's in but his performance is always great he's captivating he really is I know. first thing i ever saw him in was weirdly a midsummer night's dream where he played thisby and i think he's like 20 years old and i forgot all about him and then suddenly he was in the green mile as billy mm-hmm. uh, that, that really evil evil character and then suddenly it's galaxy quest this guy and you're like he just he can play any character he's like so he can be so lovable but he can also be terrifying and it's like three billboards i thought was his best performance ever but um but after that i'd say jojo rabbit he just does so well he's good at getting the audience to or at least he's good at communicating that he isn't entirely sure of his own belief system so even when he's acting out with a lot of what tends to be toxic masculinity lashing out especially in three billboards uh even when he's trying to be the asshole he thinks he's meant to be he's very good at communicating moments where you know he's catching himself and he's going oh maybe this isn't what i thought it was and yeah, yeah. I'm communicating that properly, but I think you know what I mean. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, and in in Jojo Rabbit, you know, we should hate him. He's teaching these kids how to use grenades, how to use daggers, how to kill, how to hate Jews. How does he make that endearing? I have no idea, but he's just he's phenomenal. Yeah, I just love yeah. that the girls have to learn how to, well, just have babies really. Have <laughs> 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 to learn. <laughs> The boys get to do all this amazing stuff, all this cool stuff, and the girls are just like shoved inside time to do like nothing. It's uh-huh. the awkward silence though when Rebel Wilson says that, isn't it? Like she's like, "You just get to cook and make babies," and there's like no cheers, nothing. It's like almost you can hear the crickets. <laughs> completely, yeah. completely. Um, so my third point um has been touched on a little bit with the imagery, but it's the production design. It is beautifully. Uh, beautiful aesthetically it I love a spe- the first time I noticed it was when we first go into the town centre and there's all these pastel coloured houses against the blood red Nazi swastikas and it's it's just gorgeous to watch like you know even if there was no action and it just went through all the scenes it's it's stunning and I love how uh, there's a lot of green. There's a lot of green, um, bright green, especially when the mum comes in. Um, and yeah, she's just, oh, she's beautiful. But her style is incredible through it. So yeah, she has the green costume. There's a green front door. Um, Inya's bedroom is bright green. And then she has the pyjamas that also match Jojo's pyjamas, which I just thought was was lovely and so sweet. And that brings in that childhood innocence as well. Um and that yeah, the the gorgeous, bright, vivid colours were beautiful. And then there were so many shots where um characters were right bang on in the centre, and then there was maybe like a patterned wall and a bright colour or two bright colours. And I just I could get over how gorgeous it all looked, and I just I, I wanted more and I wanted more and I was given more. Um and then we have after Jojo's had the physio, we have the bright red lipstick mark in the middle of his head, and it's so cute, but it's just that sort of it's almost like blood red lipstick on his head, you know, it could be a symbol for a, a wound or something like that as well. 
Um, and yeah, the characters are just always framed perfectly. And then we also have the uh, when the mum goes and gets the suit and puts it over her face um, to create the beard for the dad. The only thing I didn't like about that was her lipstick never smudged. And she smudged <laughs> she smudged this suit all, all over her face. But, you know, it wasn't like a nitpick that would take it down in my rating at all. But it was just that sort of symbolism is, right, we knew she was the dad now. Um yeah, it was it was a gorgeous film to watch. I loved how how bright it was. And usually, when we would watch a film uh, about World War Two or Nazi Germany, it it would be very bleak and not a lot of color. And this just hit us with the opposite. And even the is the butterfly blue? Am I, did yeah. I make that up? No, the butterfly is is uh, is blue. And I just think they bring so many even clashing colors, and it's so bright and beautiful in a world that was so awful and I really like the way they did that yeah I think it's been stated as well that uh, at that time like at a time of misery and um, just pure evil that Germany was a very colourful place and I also thought it was quite interesting how all the I think all the boys in the camp or the majority of the boys in the camp had the blonde hair very blonde hair except Yorkie our little <laughs> friend Yorkie had his really really dark hair and he just he, he stood out and he was he was incredible I want to see more of Yorkie <laughs> I think the kids that played the clones were actually the boy who played Jojo Rabbit's brothers in real life really well, yeah I think those were actually brothers <laughs> uh, but yeah I remember seeing the clones and they were just blondes yeah <laughs> super mm-hmm. blonde children and just referred to it as the clones yeah <laughs> <laughs> there's there's a line in it as well, isn't there? I think the mum says to Elsa that Jojo nearly had a fit when he found out his grandpa or his great grandpa wasn't blonde or something like that as well. Yeah, <laughs> it's just this this uh, like ideal placed on that look, and they make it out to to be ridiculous as it was. Um, so perfectly done. Well, so even that scar done. on his head that was just just like the tiniest scar, which and then Rebel Wilson's like. She just the things she says to him about how he's disfigured and things like that are just so brutal. Yeah, there's a scene as well where Jojo asks Hitler, "Am I ugly?" And Hitler just turns around, he's like, "Yes." He's the most beautiful wee boy as well. No, he's gorgeous, isn't he? Just the biggest eyes. I think he was also in Judy playing the um, the son in Judy as well. So I think that was quite a big year for him. Yeah, I think Jojo was his first performance as well. Was it? I'm pretty sure it was, and uh, and Yorkies. I, I could be wrong, but I'm sure I read that somewhere. What a uh, way to start! Yeah, <laughs> I said that Yorkie was just always so breathy. It's almost like every time he spoke, he was always out of breath. <laughs> yeah. And he's now going on to do the remake of Home Alone. Yorkie is, yeah. I did not know there was going to be a remake of Home Alone. I'm yeah, excited. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it, but. I like Yorkie, uh, I like that actor, so I'm hoping that he does it justice. Yeah, there's just something about Yorkie, because the, the, the guy who played Jojo, I, I felt, was a very natural actor, as with Yorkie, there was almost a sense of slight stagedness with his performance, which I think made him even more endearing. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, the way he was trying to say his words, it didn't kind of come out quite naturally, <laughs> but he was just adorable. You're like, oh, that wee boy's thank you. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I can take from it. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited to see what, what they both go on to next achieve yeah and um, so kim what's your your third point on this amazing film i think one thing that i really liked about it was that they left the how what happened to the dad kind of open for interpretation like they didn't because you were kind of wondering was he jewish was he killed in the war does the mum know what's happened to him you kind of get the sense that she's not waiting for him to come back you know she's not sitting in another place at the table or anything but um they kind of left it a bit open and you were almost expecting uh, Jojo to find out that his, his dad was Jewish or something. I think you were almost expecting to, to hear that. Um, and, and did he ever say how the, the daughter died? No, that's I was going to say that as well, that they, they leave it open-ended on both. You know, because it's almost a hint that she died. They don't even exactly say, I don't think they actually state that as well. Maybe they, maybe they did and I've missed it, but I know that you don't find out exactly what happened to mm-hmm. either of them. Mm-hmm. 
which I thought was really interesting given the mum's, inv- I mean, she's not just hiding a Jew, she's very much involved in, you know, she, she's putting flyers around the city. She feels very politically passionate about what's going on with the war, even though she's trying to play it down to her son, you know, by saying, you know, you have to live in the moment and why are you getting so obsessed with this? But really, she's so committed to the cause uh, in trying to, you know, help Jewish people during the war. So, you know, you do kind of wonder how the dad ties into it, how the daughter ties into it, but it's they leave it open to interpretation, which yeah. I thought and because they've left her bedroom like as it is as well so it kind of it feels like it's a more recent one but they just don't they don't go into it at all i feel that sam rockwell captain k is maybe a friend of the family before all this happened because he obviously helps elsa he seems to know um scarlett johansson's character before Jojo is blown up because he says, oh, she's going to kill me for this. Mm-hmm. So he already seems to know her. He stops off with his bike at Jojo's house when the Gestapo are there. Yeah. I feel like he might have been like a friend of the family before all this happened as well. And maybe perhaps knew the dad, knew the sister. Yeah, never picked up on that, actually. Yeah, I think you get the sense that he's quite comfortable with that. Like, I also kind of got the impression that she knew he was gay as well. Like, it's like they had this kind of knowledge of each other. And, you know, I did kind of wonder if maybe he was involved in that resistance as well. Um, like you said, you know, he knows when the Gestapo go into that house. Like, it's almost like he knows that there's a Jewish girl in there. Yeah. So he up and he's just like, shit. Like, so it's almost like he might have had prior knowledge about what was going on. Um, because if it was just Jojo in the house, he probably wouldn't have bothered. But it's almost like his, his arrival felt odd because he's never been in the house before for the entire movie. He's got no real connection to the family aside from Jojo works for him. But suddenly he just appears at this house as a Gestapo enter, which makes me think he knew that that girl was there. And it's it's also you almost get a like a sigh of relief when he shows up at the house when the Gestapo are there, and you don't know why because like yeah, he's not fearing... helped us up until now. <laughs> yeah, but you're fearing for Elsa, you're fearing for Jojo. They're starting to raid the house on the, the ground level, and then Sam Re- Sam Rockwell comes in, and you're like, oh thank God, thank goodness. <laughs> and you don't know why, you know, because he's 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 a Nazi. <laughs> yeah, because I don't I don't think he ever he's never really seemed to show real hatred towards Jewish people. He he's never really anti-Semitic at all. Like he's that's not the side that you see him enjoying. For him, it's just I hate my job. I'm training you. I've done my face. It's almost like he can't be bothered with any of it. But he also he has this, you know, whether he's afraid of it or not, he clearly has a level of respect for the mum as well. You know, she comes in and she, I, think, I don't know if she kicks him or she slaps him, but like, you know, he could have got her, you know, kicked out immediately. But it's like, he clearly has a level of respect for her. So I think in knowing how passionate she is about, you know, the, the Jewish resistance and stuff, it's, um, you get this sense of he, like his moral compass isn't, with the Nazi regime from the from the get go, and so when he does arrive, like you said, you get that sense of relief. You're like, oh my god, finally someone with a a sense of reason and a heart almost has arrived. And it's like, yeah, it's it's a great yeah. character. Yeah. Well, I go on to yeah. my last point then. So it actually ties in really nicely to everything was just said there. But it's Jojo missing a father figure in his life and how there's almost three people trying to be that for him. So you've got the mum, and she's obviously the true father figure there, as well as the mother figure, so she's trying to teach him about right and wrong, about the war, about how to dance, how to love, and just how to be a child. And then you've got that really great scene that we spoke about where she puts the suit on her, and it's almost like a... It's, it's almost like watching theatre at that point because she's playing these two characters and turning in different directions to represent the mum and the dad. But when you take the mum away, the only other two people to fill that is either Hitler, his imaginary friend, or I guess in a way the Captain K character. Hitler is obviously trying to talk in his ear about how bad the Jews are. And he cowards away at the table when Jojo and the mum are having an argument you know, Hitler's sitting in the middle, mm-hmm. then he's like, I'm just going to go. I'm, I'm just going to leave. And he just leaves them to it. Um, and what I did like as well was, as Jojo started to understand the Jewish people more and more and started to befriend Elsa, we actually seen less and less of Hitler in the mm-hmm. film. And that's true to life. Like, when children have imaginary friends, the more they get 
the more friends they get and the more they learn about friendship, they start to forget about their imaginary friends. So I thought that worked really well. And then at the other side of that is Captain K, who lets Jojo believe in the Jews with horns and are serpents and can hypnotise you. And I think that's Captain K letting Jojo be a kid. You know, kids to have these wild imaginations and Captain K could just turn around and go, look, it's not really like that. All right, they, they look like us. Uh, you wouldn't be able to spot one just walking down the street. But instead he lets them believe this because a child needs this wonder of imagination. And then obviously at the end, Jojo gets rid of Hitler and then Captain K saves Jojo at the end, you know. He, the jacket. Yeah, I wouldn't say he sacrifices himself because Captain K was going to get killed no matter what at the end, but he did that one last good deed to save, I guess, this this young boy that has been in his life, you know, and that ties into, again, if we do believe that Captain K has been a friend of the family before this. Yeah, because there are actually a lot of kids running about there. Captain K could could have helped any of them. But yeah, he helps Jojo, and thank God he does. Yeah, I think he sees that he is just a kid, and he was talking about Jews with horns and things like that. It's like he never rolls his eyes, but you, you just always feel Sam Rockwell rolling his eyes, and it's it's probably his way of protecting him is to allow him to believe in those things. And he's probably had this conversation with the mum before as well. Like like you said, he could turn around and go, "It's not really like that," but actually, for him to do that, um, we'd probably not be protecting him under a Nazi regime, he's just like, you know what, be a kid, but just, like, he sees how disconnected this wee boy is from reality. So when everyone is getting shot for these war crimes, and so was, he just knows that Jojo has no place there. He's never understood the war to begin with. So it's, uh, yeah, it's a really lovely moment when he, yeah. when he does that. Yeah. I think as well, him building this picture of the Jews with horns and everything, if he if he has been friends with the mum who does know what the mum's doing, maybe he wants to build this picture up for for Jojo so that he he does become this believing in in the whole Nazi life and the Nazi ideology to protect him from you know yeah his mum's doing an amazing job but she's also risking her life every single day the more Jojo buys into this ideology the more he's being protected because you you don't know when his mum's going to go you don't know when someone's going to find out what his mum's doing or, or who his mum's hiding um so that yeah is the protection of that as well and again, I think that ties into the fact that Captain K knows that this war is coming to an end and that they're losing. So what is it they say to the kids again? It's like they have like paper thin clothes, but they're saying it's like bulletproof and it's just really advanced. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, it's crazy. I know. Has anyone got any other notes or anything they didn't like about the film? No, my only... Thing it kind of took me out of it a wee bit was once Scarlett Johansson's character has died, the mum, Jojo is left to like basically fend for himself for, like, we don't know how long it's for, but it's definitely a few days because he's like eating out of bins, uh, trying to find food for him and Elsa. And I just feel like he would be taken in by someone, maybe not for good causes, but like someone would take him in to train him to be a Nazi. Or, or something like that, or Sam Rockwell's character would maybe appear, but I don't know, there's just these few days where it's just him and Elsa, and I guess it's nice to build up like this relationship between them, but I feel like an adult of some sort would have appeared at that door. Yeah, someone would know, like, oh, he's on this wee 10, 11-year-old boy or whatever is on his own. He, that, that can't happen. Um, even, like, taking him into live at the camp or something i don't know yeah i never thought about that actually (laughs) i was so engrossed in their story (laughs) kim any parts you didn't like or any other notes um you know i'm honestly i'm trying to think of something i didn't like and i'm really stuck like i just like i'm really i just really love that movie um no i really can't think of a a single flaw in that I am, <laughs> I'm exactly the same. That's why I came to you next. I was like, I can't think of anything that I didn't like. <laughs> has anyone's ratings changed? Mine definitely hasn't. No, not at all. It's just brilliant. And just to add to that as well, just at the end of the movie, just something I think is worth bringing up is the first time you actually see the Americans coming in is they're executing everybody. <laughs> so it's a lot of people might think oh, it was, you know, it's glamorising the Nazi regime or whatever. So the first time you actually see the other side, they're executing some of our favourite characters so <laughs> yeah 
definitely. No, absolutely. 10 out of 10 film from us all. I love it. I love it. Um, so now we'll take a little break before we head into our quick fire quiz round. Heil Hitler. 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 Hey guys, good to see you. My bicycle got a flat tire, so I carried it. Captain Klinsendorf, Heil Hitler. 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 You know, Freddy Finkel. Heil Hitler. 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 So did I miss anything? No, no, we were just Heil Hitlering the boy, and then Heil Hitlering yourself, and then, of course, Heil Hitlering Freddie Finkel, and now we're in the midst of a routine inspection. Okay, so now we are back for our quick-fire quiz round, where Gary and I are going to ask you five questions each on the film. So, ready? Ready. <laughs> Here we go. Okay, the German version of what song plays in over the opening credits? Oh, oh no. I want to say it's David Berry something. I think it is a David Berry song, but I can't think of what the song is. It's I Want to Hold Your Hand by the Beatles. Oh no! <laughs> Got it wrong. <laughs> How old is Jojo at the start of the movie? I think he is. Oh, my name is Jojo Rabbit. I am <laughs> 10 years old. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> uh, true or false, the film is based on a book. False. True. Is it? Oh, yeah. wow. God. <laughs> okay, and this is going to help you with my next question, which is, can you name the book the movie is based on? <laughs> <laughs> so, oh. <laughs> it was, uh, it's actually called Caging Skies, which is a weird, not as fun title. Mm-hmm. Um. So my third one is, what weapon are all the Nazi youths given? A knife. What fictional animal does Hitler eat at the dining table? <laughs> Unicorn. <laughs> what is the name of Elsa's ex-fiancé? Nathan. Sam Rockwell plays Captain K. What does the K stand for? Oh, no. Const- um, Captain Confidence. No. It is Captain Klinsendorf. <laughs> yeah, I was never remembering <laughs> <laughs> The last one for me is what did Nathan die of? Wasn't he in the resistance and didn't he die from being a part of that? Died of TB. That's <gasps> oh. <laughs> okay, I didn't know that one either. And this one is just actually for more fun because it's so hard to do. Can you spell the director's full name? Oh my god, okay. I'm going to get this wrong. Full name T A I K I. W A I T I T I. Oh, that's probably. Wrong. You got one letter wrong. That's it, one letter. It was T A I K A, not ah, I. Damn well it. done, though. That was good. Yeah. Very well done, Kim. That was so, hard. <laughs> <laughs> actually, some of those questions were were a bit hard. We were quite quite hard, don't you? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I thought I thought um, Taiki Albertiti had actually written that whole thing himself from scratch. I think it was a 2000, was it 2008 book? I can't remember when the book was but you wrote the screenplay after doing I think it was Boy or maybe Hunt for the Wilder People and but then he went and did for Ragnarok and What We Do in the Shadows. He had went and filmed them first then came back and then managed to get the funding get the film made yeah. Now he's doing Star Wars. Yes now he's doing Star Wars. Cannot wait. (laughs) He's just got such a great sense of humour in everything that he makes. Yeah, and I feel like when a franchise has been going for so long, it needs like some new blood like his in there with like an original style and an, mm-hmm. an original vision. That's why um, For Ragnarok worked so well, because it needed to be changed up, and I feel the same with like whatever he'll do with Star Wars as well. Definitely, because even though he does a lot of comedy, the one thing that he does so, so well, and it's normally with comedy intact, is he is great at developing characters in a way that he makes you care for them. Yeah. Uh, everything he does, no matter how awful the characters are, he, he really, really excels at that, even with Thor Ragnarok, which I think was written by 
Christopher Yost, I want to say. Like, uh-huh. I think they worked really well together. So it wouldn't shock me if you brought him on board for Star Wars as well. Nice. So now we're going to go on to our fun fact of the day. Gary, have you got a fun fact of the day? Yes, so I kept mine in theme. So in 1939, a Swedish legislator nominated Hitler for a Nobel Peace Prize. And although this was intended as a joke, few found it amusing. And instead it created like an uproar and the nomination was withdrawn. But as a result of this, Hitler barred all Germans from accepting Nobel Prizes. And he he instead created the German National Prize for Art and Science as an alternative. And around about this time, three Germans were nominated for Nobels and were forced to decline their awards. Oh my god. They later got them after the war ended, but Mm -hmm. Hitler made them uh, decline it. As if he was enough of a dick already, you know. know. (laughs) (laughs) Taking other people's spark away from them awful so kim what's your fun fact of the day um well i'll I'll, I'll frame it as a question and then i'll tell you the answer but it's one of my favorite random facts to give people Uh, what is michael j fox's middle name i'm gonna go with jack just because it's my middle name (laughs) andrew (laughs) sorry i just apparently there's another michael fox and uh because his middle name was andrew he didn't want to be michael a fox so it was Michael J. Fox, and I love that fact. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> I, and also, like, Michael A. Fox, it sounds like Michael is a fox. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I go with J. I stick with J. Oh, I like it. I like it. Um, and my fun fact of the day is that the human body literally glows. So it emits a small quantity of visible light, which is a thousand times less intense than the light that the naked eye can see. But researchers in Japan have like created some special camera that you can see it, like to track it, and you're literally glowing all the time. I love it. The girl from Stardust, that's brilliant. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I just thought that was a, a really cool fact. Like when people say, Oh, you're glowing, like you literally are glowing. <laughs> so Gary, have you got a short film that you'd like our uh, listeners to watch you'd like to recommend to them? Yes, so this is a sci-fi short film called The Black Hole. You can find it on YouTube. And this was the first ever short film that i ever seen. So it's been out for about 12 years. It's recently been re-uploaded to YouTube because it's been picked up by the sci-fi company Dust. But I was introduced to this when I was at Cardinal College when I first took the career of filmmaking that I'm still trying to do. But basically the synopsis is an office employee finds a mysterious piece of paper that allows him to pass through solid objects. It's quite short as well, I think it's only like maybe five minutes long, so if you've got a spare five minutes, check it out and give it a wee share. Nice, definitely. Kim, have you got a short film you'd like to share with our listeners? Absolutely, it's on Vimeo and it's called Tiki Taki and it's Oscar Isaac and it's I don't know how he got involved in this short film, but it's like watching a masterpiece in acting. Like, I always thought he was quite a good actor, but from watching this, it's like scary and funny and it's beautifully made. I think it is about 11 minutes long, but just so much, so much crazy stuff happens in it. And it's about, you don't know what he does for a living, but he's this extremely, extremely rich man. It's all set in this beautiful big house and his hitman is a six-year-old boy. (laughs) <laughs> uh, called Gabriel and Gabriel has is it starts off by just giving them the information that his uh, his girlfriend has been cheating on him with his cousin and the whole film is about how he invites the girlfriend and the cousin to the house to confront them and that is what the short film is and it's hilarious oh I can't wait to watch that <laughs> we'll definitely put a link to that in the show notes as well um, and the short film I am going to recommend, I was on the lookout for Scottish short films and I found one on YouTube called Herring Road and it's set in 1887 and it is Lizzie, a teenage girl, um, she's helping her mum and nan take their stock of fish to the fish market. They have to walk over loads of hills. The mum is not sure if the young daughter is up to it. She's not sure if her older mother's up to it. Um, and I just thought it was really, really well done. I don't think it was a huge budget. I think it's an Edinburgh College of Art um, like graduating short film. Um, but it's done really, really well. The language used in it is 
uh, really nice and you totally buy into the the period setting as well and there's not there's the only setting is in the hills so really really nice film that i'd like to recommend uh, and that is directed written and produced by glenn shepherd as well um so thank you so much kim you've been an amazing host and thank you for choosing such an amazing film as well can you let our listeners know uh, where they can find you on social media and keep up to date with your project absolutely probably best to find me on twitter which you can find me as kim mccaskill with the number one after it because apparently kim mccaskill was taken uh, so kim mccaskill number one on twitter and i apologize in advance for whatever a tweet it will not be particularly interesting but you know it's there if you really want to see it so love it love it definitely get following kim uh, and I'm Ashley Sutherland. You can find me at Ashley Sutherland on Instagram and at Ash Sutherland 4 on Twitter. And I'm still Gary, and you can find me at HewittGPro on Insta and on Twitter. And if you're loving what you're hearing, loving keeping up to date with the podcast, please subscribe and share. And if you Uh, feel really passionate about it leave us a little review and if you want to comment leave any notes ideas of what you want us to cover next you can email us at choosefilmpodcast at hotmail.com and you can follow us on twitter at filmchoose and on instagram at choosefilmpodcast yeah so you've been listening to choose film a real retrospective podcast and when you join us next time we're gonna have a new theme Thank you so much. Thanks, see you. Bye. This conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Goodbye. Goodbye.